Our God and Father, Lord, you are awesome. You're mighty. Indeed, the Almighty, we praise you, God. We thank you that you are on the throne, Lord, that you're the creator of everything that is, that, God, you sustain all things by the word of your power, and that, Lord, nothing is too difficult for you. We thank you. We thank you, God, that when you make a promise, it is faithful and it is true. And, God, we can put our hope and our trust and the things that you have promised to us. More than that, God, we can put our hope and our trust in you. Oh, Lord, we can lean on you, the everlasting rock. And, Lord, we can find refuge in the shadow of your wings. God, we thank you, and we praise you. And, Lord, we uh, ask today, as we consider the great promises that are held out in the gospel, that you would give light to our eyes, that you would help us to see and clearly understand the things which you have promised to us and the purpose that you have for us, God, who have trusted in Christ. We thank you for all of the wonderful and manifold blessings that you promised to us. And help us this morning, God, to grasp and to comprehend with all the saints the great height and depth and width of your love, which is beyond all understanding. We pray that you would help us Lord, this morning by your Spirit. We thank you for all of these great privileges that are ours because of the Holy Cross of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about the gospel for quite some time now, and and, uh, just wanted to mention again that, you know, the gospel has so many forms, and it comes to us in many ways. And and, uh, if you will, we've talked about those at length And uh, we've kind of shifted into uh, one of the forms of the gospel, which is that the gospel is an invitation. It's an invitation to blessing, and it's an invitation to healing, and it's an invitation to come personally to God and to be restored and reconciled in our relationship to Him. And so we've been talking about that, and if you will, kind of cataloging some of the blessings that come with the gospel. These are blessings that are sure to all who believe. And it's something that we need to be able to communicate to people because, you see, people in the world are dying from the deadly disease of sin. And there is much death and suffering and pain in the world that has been wrought because of sin. And so mankind is universally in this uh, bondage to sin and to death. And the whole creation, the Bible says, is in bondage to decay. And what mankind needs is a healing from the death of sin. And so, if you will, the gospel is an invitation to exactly that. God offers to heal our broken lives. He offers to heal our broken souls. He offers to be to us the eternal source of blessing and life that we all long for and hope for. More than that, he offers to heal the broken world. Not only that, he promises he will do it. Regardless of how we respond, God is going to come and he's going to heal the broken world. But as individuals, he's he's extending the offer for us to come to him personally and be part of that restoration. Amen? And we should not be ashamed for one minute to open up our mouth and tell lost, hurting, dying, broken sinners about the healing and the comfort and the grace and the hope that Christ offers to us in the gospel. Amen? We don't just run around busting people over the head with a Bible and and, uh, pointing our big, long, bony finger of a prophet and telling them to repent. Although that is part of the gospel, it's not the whole gospel. Okay, although it is an essential element of the gospel, it is also an essential element of the gospel that Christ will hear those who call upon him and that he will heal them who call upon them upon him for healing. And this also is what Christ is extending to us. It's an offer to be saved from sin unto eternal life. Amen. And so this is something we need to be able to articulate and communicate in the same way that we can articulate and communicate to someone that the gospel is a warning 
and that they must repent and they must turn and they must trust in Christ. Well, we need to be able to articulate what they receive when they do that. And that's the very thing that many times is inviting some. Maybe it is that people are so hungry and thirsty for the promise and the hope of God that they're so darkened in their suffering and in their depression they can hardly grasp what it, what it must be like to be able to be healed and to, to be fed and to come with their thirsty souls longing for some real drink. Amen? Like the woman at the well. You know, that was Jesus' promise. He didn't bop her on the head about repentance. Are you with me? Now, some needed that, but obviously she didn't. You remember, she was the one who'd been married, uh, you know, four or five times, and and uh, uh, her sin was obvious to Christ and to her, right? But what Jesus was offering was water that wells up to eternal life. Amen? And he was offering water where if she would drink, she would never be thirsty again. Amen? And uh, so often, you know, people are running from relationship to relationship in their life looking for something that will quench their thirst. And they cannot find it. Or they run from idol to idol, from thing to thing to thing, to job to career to hobby to this to that, looking everywhere and searching endlessly for something to fulfill in the world. Amen? But Christ is the only thing that quenches the thirst that is created by sin. Amen? And so we need to be able to articulate that to people. So in so doing, we've been talking about the blessings that come uh, through the gospel and that God has promised so many things. There are so many, many promises in the Bible that are all ours in Christ. Chiefly among those is the fact that God himself has promised himself to those of us who will call upon him. And he's calling us personally to come to him and to be reconciled to him in our relationship to him. And if you will, he is the reward that's held out in the gospel. So that when we possess God, we possess everything. Amen? And so uh, whatever it is that is God's is ours when we come to him and we're restored to him. And uh, if you will, like John Piper writes and says, God is the gospel. God himself is what is held out to us in the gospel. And so along with that, obviously, is salvation from sin, right? And healing and life and blessing and profound eternal promises beyond our imagination. Amen? And so much so that even in this life, God promises to be everything we need. So that when we need a shelter, he's our shelter. When we need a, uh, uh, a helper, he's our helper. Amen? When we're thirsty, he is the well that never runs dry, right? When we're hungry, he is the bread that came down from heaven, right? And he who eats of me, he says, will never hunger again. And so God is all of these things for us. He promises in this life to meet all of our needs, the Bible says, according to his riches in glory. Amen? You with me? And so that God has the re- all the resources of God to meet our needs. And he's promised to meet them. Amen? So much so that David says, I never saw the righteous begging bread. Amen? But God cares for his people. And more than this, he's promised that through the gospel and through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, that he will literally change us and transform us so that we become like him. And we begin to experience the profound blessing of his character and his nature as the Spirit of God is conforming us into that very being and conforming us after his very image so that we are now from our sick, broken, diseased selves being changed to become like Christ so that we think like Christ and we feel like Christ. We feel with his compassion And we think with his divine, heavenly, holy thoughts as the Holy Spirit conforms us more and more into his image, right? Through the word, by the Spirit. Amen? And this is the process that we call sanctification. 
And so from the moment that we get saved, the sanctification process begins and we begin on this path of being conformed into the image of Christ and changed into his likeness. And of course, last week, this is what we were talking about when we discussed uh, how this uh, uh, spirit is transforming us, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we are being transformed into his image from glory to glory. So, so uh, this blessing that comes to us in the gospel is that we ourselves actually are being changed and transformed into the very nature of God. It's not that we become gods, but that we become like God. And so God has given us those capacities when he created us. This is what it means that man was created in the image of God. He, he's the only unique being that has some of the capacities that are in the divine nature. Things like intelligence and, and emotional uh, uh, capacities, right? And, and so what God has done is he's, he's made a being that has the capacity to be formed after his image and in his likeness. Amen? So <clears throat> when we receive the healing that comes through the forgiveness of sin and through reconciliation to God and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, God begins this transformation process that we call sanctification. And the Bible says that whoever is in Christ is a new creation and that we are being uh, uh, formed more and more into the image of God and and that uh, the new man which is in us, the inner man, is being renewed day by day and that it has, as Ephesians 4 says, the new self which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And we are, if you will, these new creations in our very being that God is changing and transforming more and more into his likeness. So that all of this sanctification process ultimately culminates in what we call glorification. <clears throat> so that at the resurrection, God completes the sanctification process by sanctifying our bodies and giving us immortal, imperishable bodies that will never die. So that in this life, we begin this process of ascending. You remember how I was explaining to you that anyone who is apart from Christ <clears throat> is in a process of descending. And they, they, they are falling deeper and deeper into the mire and pit of sin, which ultimately the destiny of all those who are outside of Christ is to fall into the bottomless pit, the lake of fire, the place that, that is just, if you will, pictured as being as far away from the presence of God's good presence to bless as possible. And that's where sin ends up, and that's the definition of death. It's eternal separation away from the presence of God and from the glory of his power. And so that it is a, it's a descending, it's a moving away down from every good and perfect virtue into every depressive, corrupt, wicked, vile thing that is apart from God. Are you with me? What words could describe the destiny of those who have rejected God continually by their sin and have rejected his free offer of grace? Are you with me? There are no words to describe the horror of that place and the depth of that place of suffering away from God. And by the same token, what words could describe the glory, the eternal weight of glory that Paul says, that, uh, that, uh, that we who have believed that our suffering in this present life is achieving for us. Or as he writes in Romans and he says, that our present suffering is not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And, and that what's happened now is that those who have trusted in Christ are in a process of ascending. Where God is up in heaven, where he is highly, you see he's highly, he's lifted up. He's high and lifted up, he's way up in heaven. And so, so much so that the scripture says that those, God has made us alive in Christ and what? seated us in heavenly places in him. You with me? So that he has raised us up, lifted us up out of the mire and pit of sin, and put us on high with him at the right hand of God. Amen? And so, if you will, the Bible uses these analogies of way down and way up. Okay? Real far down low and real way up high. Okay? 
And so now we're in this process of ascending and being transformed. So much so that we are uh, uh, ultimately going to culminate in receiving an eternal body. And last week I misquoted it. Somebody pointed out to me I was quoting Colossians 3.20, which says, children obey your parents. <laughs> and what I, what, I, what I should have said was Philippians 3.20, which is the scripture that says that uh, Christ is going to transform this earthly body to be conformed to his glorious body. Amen. And uh, if you will, at the resurrection, we're going to be like him. We're going to be transformed to be like him, the scripture says. And so that we're going to possess a body that's imperishable and immortal. So uh, we ended last week by talking about the sanctification process. And I just wanted to point this out to you one more time. At the bottom of page 110 is kind of a little chart that depicts the scripture in Second Peter chapter 1. On your handout it says chapter 2, 1 through 4. That's not right. It's Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And uh, that scripture there is also at the bottom of page 109. This is what it says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And so, if you will, there's this process that's taking place. And, and it's through the knowledge, it's through the coming to know Christ and, and being restored to him in our relationship. You see, knowledge is not just knowing things about God. Okay? Of course it is. It's essentially knowing things about God. But the thing is is that we come to know them personally as we come to know God. Are you with me? And so it's the true knowledge of God is somebody that actually knows God or rather is known by God. Okay? You understand? In the New Testament being known by God is being reconciled by God and being being so much so that the scripture uses the word foreknowledge. And it's, this is this idea where God in eternity past has set his love upon us in such a way that in the course of time and space, he comes to know us personally and intimately through reconciliation. Okay, So that when the scripture says in Romans 8.29, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That foreknowledge is an intimate, loving relationship that God has purpose to set upon the objects of his love. It's a very profound and interesting word, that word foreknowledge. But here's the idea. This knowledge is something that we have personally of God. And that we grow in this relationship with God. We come to know him. And God comes to reveal and manifest himself to us so that we know him in greater degree more and more as we face the diverse trials, joys, and sorrows of life. God is expressing and revealing and manifesting himself to us. And then as we receive that vision of God, remember, as we are beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the virtue of the Lord, as we walk through this life and we face deep, dark shadows and Christ is our light, and our salvation, and we, we see him in all of his glory as our Savior, and we trust in him, and he delivers us, okay? When we see that glory and that virtue that he is, we long to be like that, because we, we, we have this tremendous delight in who his character is, and as he reveals it to us, we then become like him through that revelation process. You remember that discussion? Okay, so... Um, the point is, if you look here in this passage in Second Peter, this is what Peter is saying. He's saying that through these great and precious promises, which come to us through the knowledge of God, he says we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have everything that we need for our life, and we have everything that we need to be like God. That's what godliness is. We have everything pertaining to godliness. What does that mean? Well, we have a full revelation of God as we come to know him, right? Through the word, by the spirit. And as that happens, look what Peter says. 
He says, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. What's he saying? He's saying, as you live your life and you are contemplating and meditating upon the magnificent promises of God, right? That we, through that process of sanctification, as we come to know him, right? It's through the knowledge that he grants us everything pertaining to life and godliness and through the knowledge that grace and peace are multiplied to us. You see that? Through, through that process, we are, he says, becoming partakers of the divine nature. You understand? We're becoming like him. And we're, you know, what is the divine nature? <laughs> what is the nature of God? Are you with me? Well, what? God is love. God is holy. God is wise. God is patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He's humble in heart, Jesus says. Come, learn of me. He says, I'm humble. I'm meek. I'm lowly. Right? I'm so lowly, I'll condescend from heaven down to earth to come save you wretched sinners. Amen? (laughs) But he's also holy. He's perfect. He's loving. He's gracious. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's full of mercy and peace. Amen? All the paths of the Lord, it says, are mercy and what? Truth. God is true. Are you with me? This is the divine nature. This is what we're partaking of. All of these good blessings of God's being. Are you with me? That's why it's fundamental for a church to be continually and constantly reminding the church about the character and the nature of God. Because it's out of him that that all virtue flows. He is the definition of virtue. He's the thing that we worship when we come in the door on Sunday morning. We're worshiping God for what? For the glory of his being. Because he's worthy to be worshipped. Why? Because he's so patient and so loving and so kind and so truthful and faithful and, and, and all of these things which make up the being of God. It's his being that we're worshiping because of the virtue that he is. Are you with me? It's a hard thing for me to articulate. <laughs> but I'm trying to get it out. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just it, God himself is so glorious in all of his virtue and his goodness. Okay? Which is what makes evil so evil. And what makes sin so utterly sinful. That it's the antithesis of God who is everything that is good. Are you with me? And, and so, uh, if you will... Peter says it's through this process of growing in the knowledge of God through the great and precious promises that we become partakers of the divine nature. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because, family, this is a gospel promise to everybody who will trust in Christ. Not only that, it is the ultimate healing from sin. God takes our broken ruined, desert waste places of our life. He takes us from the wilderness of sin into a land flowing with milk and honey. You understand? Where you live in a house you didn't build and you drink from a grapevine you didn't plant. Are you with me? God built the house and God planted the vine and then he made it grow. You understand? And he brought you into this flourishing life of what? of patience and kindness and compassion and goodness and all of those good virtues, partaking of the divine nature. Are you with me? And so, if you will, the promised land of old, through the gospel, symbolizes for us that place of great blessing and flourishing in the, in the partaking of the divine nature that is promised to us through the gospel and by the process of sanctification, which ultimately one day is going to culminate in glorification when it reaches its fulfillment. Okay, are you with me? Did I lose anybody there? Okay, all right. So, so talking about these various promises of God, that in sanctification, we're actually partaking of the divine nature and becoming like him and being transformed to be like him. It's ultimately going to culminate in glorification. Now I'm at the top of page 111. Now, of course, this entire blessing comes to us through the life and death of Christ for us. The gospel has purchased for those who believe these great and precious promises. 
But the gospel promises do not stop with the sanctification process that is taking place here and now in the life of the believer. In fact, this is just a temporal benefit which will well up to eternal life and become an eternal blessing that will never fade away. Now, do you understand what we're saying here? We're not just talking about a promise for grace for today. We're talking about a promise of future grace. A promise of blessing that lasts forever and ever and ever that will never ever run dry. You understand? This is an amazing blessing. The Bible uses the word eternal to speak of this blessing. You understand? Everlasting never goes away. This will be accomplished finally for us at the resurrection when we will be glorified and eternally transformed, receiving immortal and imperishable bodies capable of experiencing the glory of God forever and ever. You see, your body has to be changed in order to have the capacity to receive the blessing that God has designed in his eternal kingdom for us. Right? Because this is a body of corruption. This body sees God, it dies. Because it, it's not a body of power. It's a body of weakness and death. You understand? It's been marred and ruined by sin. Okay? But when he transforms our body, we're going to have the capacity to enjoy and delight in the greatness of his majesty. You understand? It's an amazing thing. But Paul writes of this briefly, and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and following, Now I say this, brethren... That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must Put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? You see what the scripture says? It says that we're all going to be changed. And of course, we know from another passage in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and following, that about that time of the resurrection... That when Christ returns is when this happens, right? And he says that when that happens, the dead in Christ, what? Rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, rapturos, caught up in the air to meet them. And so shall we be with the Lord forever, right? Which is what Paul's talking of here. He says, we shall not all die, Right? But we shall all be changed, right? So uh, his, his point is, is that even if we have not yet died at the time of the resurrection, listen, we're going to put on a what? An immortal, imperishable body, okay? And those words mean something very specific and very profound. Imperishable means can't ever die, can't ever be corrupted, can't perish, can't rot, right? Immortal means... Definitely cannot die, right? Imperishable, cannot decay. Immortal, cannot die, right? So that these bodies are going to be transformed into an imperishable and an immortal body, okay? And of course, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, almost the entire chapter, is dedicated to a discussion about the resurrection. It's fascinating, amen? But uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is, Paul says we're all going to be transformed in this way. In fact, one of the very purposes for which God has created man is to become immortal and experience the richness of the glory of his being forever and to be his eternal dwelling place. Now I want to show you where the scripture says that you were created for this very purpose. What purpose? To be transformed, to be immortal. Okay? And this scripture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. There Paul is writing, you remember how he made that promise, and he said that even though the outward man is dying day by day, right, the inner man is being renewed, right? 
and, and that it's achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all, right? And we fix our eyes on those things which are not seen because the things which are seen, he says, are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Amen? That's chapter 4, verse 18. And then this ensues right here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, what? Eternal in the heavens. Now he's using an analogy, right? Of a tent and a house. What's that analogy of? The body. Exactly. It's, it's of the body. Okay, and if this body, the outward man that's dying, right, is perishing, if this body is torn down, we have a what? An eternal house, a building from God, right? He says, he goes on, a house not made with hands, right? A building from God, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, we groan. How many of you groan? some groaning going on around my house these days <clears throat> for indeed in this house we groan longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven you want to know a sure sign you've been saved listen you go through life groaning and longing to be clothed with your heavenly body because you have this great hope and a surety that god is going to give you such a body and you know it. You know it like you know it like you know it in the deepest part of your heart. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit gives us that assurance that God has healed us and promised to give us a body like this. Amen? And so he goes on and he says, <clears throat> uh, we, we groan and long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven inasmuch as we have put it on shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. Listen, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You hear what he's saying? In order that or, or so that this body of death, he says, will be swallowed up by life. What does he mean? That death will be finally overcome and that life will reign. So you won't die. You will what? Live. You see, it's a discussion about mortality. And he says that, that uh, uh, this um, a mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now look at these words. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. What purpose? God prepared us for what purpose? So that this mortal may be swallowed up by life. You understand? So this is one of the purposes of God in creating mankind. So that mankind ultimately falls into corruption, decay, which I could give you many verses where God is seen to be sovereign over that. Okay? Romans 11.32 for, for one. But the point is that, but, but that God created us for that purpose that we would fall and become mortal, right? So that he could do what? Swallow that mortal up in life so that we can have an eternal house in the heavens not made with hands a building from god that he could give us right so that through this whole process of dying and falling into the pit of sin and god raising us up out of that and saving us from sin and death so that we would be to the praise of the glory of his grace and so that eternally in the heavens we would be these people filled with thanksgiving and and glorious praise for god for what he's done for us Amen. And that this 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 relationship of creature to creator will go on in celebration throughout the annals and annals of eternal days, if you want to call them that. But there ain't no night in that place. Day just goes on. It's just the day. It's the day of the Lord. Amen. You with me? No night there. Because the Lord is their light. Christian believers have the promise of this eternal blessing because through repentance and faith in Christ, we have become children of God. This adoption into the family of God has given to us the benefits of eternal life, immortality, and an eternal inheritance of blessings beyond our greatest imagination. 
Now think about this. Now we're talking about being children of God. God's kids. Okay? And I'm introducing the concept when we talk about gospel blessings of inheritance. Okay? So everybody knows what an inheritance is, right? Especially if you have a rich old aunt or a rich old grandma who you're going to inherit or a lot of worldly goods from. You get the picture, right? Well, how many riches do you think God has? And if you become his kids and you become the subject of his inheritance, what is it that you shall inherit? Are you with me? Let me suggest riches beyond your wildest imagination. Okay? i got to find a better term to use for that. But anyway, <laughs> you know, we can't possibly imagine the blessing of the inheritance in, in glory in the saints. Are you with me? But this is exactly what the gospel promises to us. Through the gospel, we become adopted into the family of God to be loved by him and as his very own children. And so the scripture would say, 1 John 3, 1 and 2, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this very reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared yet as what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall what? Be like him because we shall see him just as he is. Do you understand? Now, <clears throat> in certain theological circles, this is called the beatific vision. You know what it means? It means ultimately you're going to see God. And when you see God, you remember how I was telling you that salvation is a revelatory process? And what's happening is, is we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed. So as we're walking through this life and we're facing these trials and the, all the joys and the sorrows of life, and we're seeing God, we're his people, he's our God, he delivers us, we praise him, we go through all of these great times of worship and, and tremendous lows of suffering and depression, and God meets us even in that dark place, in that valley of the shadow of death, and we're walking through all the problems of Christian sanctification. And God's manifesting himself to us. And as we see him in all these manifold ways, right, we come to know him and glorify him for who he is. Well, that's a revealing. God is revealing himself to us. So that ultimately what happens at the resurrection is God simply gives us eyes to see and shows us himself. And when we see God, when we have a revelation of who God is, we will be ultimately transformed. And, and so much so, we will be immortal and imperishable. This is what John says. He says, listen, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him just as he is. You understand? We're going to get the ultimate vision. We're going to get the ultimate revelation. That revelation is so immensely powerful, it will transform us to be immortal and imperishable. That's what that is. You, you, you dig into this subject of the beatific vision, you'll see what I'm talking about. It is, it's all through the scripture. <laughs> you know, Jesus makes these kind of promises, you know. Blessed are they who mourn, right? For they shall be comforted, right? I forget the one where he says, blessed are they, for they shall what? See God. Right? And there's this whole thing about God hiding his face in scripture. Or how about when you want to bless somebody, right, in, in the Old Testament, right, um, the, the numbers blessing, right, that uh, God will what? Make his face to shine upon you, right? And that uh, when, when God passes by Moses and stuffs him in the rock, right, he says, I, when I come by, I've got to put my hand so that you cannot see my face. You can only see my back, Right? Because you're living in a mortal body, Moses. You see this face and you are going to burn up like, like a meteor hitting the sun, man. You with me? But you see, at the resurrection, it's a different story. He gives us a body that has the capacity to endure the beatific vision. And that, that thing right there is the ultimate fulfillment of man's soul. I won't bore you with the details. Okay, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? And we need to have this idea in our head that we will see God. That we're going to see God. Do you know what that is? 
is something far beyond anything we can we can comprehend. Okay. We shall be like him. For we shall see him just as he is. Okay? Romans eight fourteen and 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, right? You've received a spirit of dependence by which you cry out to God. Are you with me? And he goes on, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, imagine the splendor of this glorious gospel promise. If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Okay, now think about what the Bible is trying to communicate to us when it says that we're going to be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is a promise of blessing. It's a promise of abundance and fulfillment. Uh, As in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Paul describes Christians and their relationship of love being predestined by God, and this is what he says. He says, we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. In the same chapter in Ephesians 1, he's praying for the church. And what's he praying? He's praying that God will give them eyes to see what this thing is. Look, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see that? Having that that, that hope And knowing what is the great hope that we possess, Paul prays that the church will have those eyes to see. You understand? It's only eyes of faith that see this great hope of God. And understand the the magnanimous nature of it. It's something beyond our wildest comprehension. So much so that Paul calls it the riches of the glory of his inheritance. What is that? Are you with me? It's something amazing. I wish I had words to try to describe it. Amen? I suppose all I can do is pray for you to have eyes to see it. Just like Paul. Obviously, the words elude him. Amen? But I want to tell you, family, we have reason to hope. We have good hope. Amen? Or for, uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen? You see that? He's called you to be he's caused you to be born again, right? To what? To a living hope. A hope that's alive. A hope of what? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Amen. And every Christian has this. Every Christian has this hope. They realize that this place is a train wreck. Amen? And that it is just descending into the pit of despair. The whole world has gone awry. The second law of thermodynamics, right? Everything in the world is going from order to chaos. It's a proven scientific law. There is nothing in the world that is not going from order to chaos except Christians. Because God has healed us from sin and death and we're no longer in bondage to decay. Yet we have an inheritance in heaven 
that is kept by God's power, reserved in heaven for us, which is what? Imperishable and undefiled, according to the riches of the glory of God. He has this thing laid up for us. Amen? And this is our great hope. We, we realize, you know, family, look, we should, we should not fear death as Christians. It, it's just a doorway into the glory of heaven. Good night. Get me there now. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? It, it's not just some kind of, you know, spiritual, uh, you know, uru guru that I work myself up into. It's the promise of the faithful and true God. That is my possession. I have it because I have Him. And I'm in Him. Are you with me? And the deepest part, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to die for this testimony. Why? Because I have such assurance that it is true and that I possess it. Are you with me? If you don't have that kind of hope, you need to believe that this Word is God's Word and that God makes true on His Word. Amen? And when he promises these things to me, they're mine in Christ. Can you say the yes and the amen? Yes, amen. You, are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? It's true. You can take it to the bank. But we're not talking about an American bank here. Okay? We're talking about the Almighty God. And, 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 and how, how is it that God has made good on this promise? Let me tell you. He came here from heaven. He lived a glorious, perfect life. Everything he touched turned to healing and blessing. Right? And then the angry men killed him. And guess what? The grave couldn't hold him. And it's empty now. Are you with me? And there's 500 eyewitnesses. There's 500 eyewitnesses. Okay? If you need a testimony, it's right there. And Jesus is risen. He's conquered death and hell. He's conquered the grave. Listen, your greatest fear can be relieved in Christ. Are you with me? Not only that, your, 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 I'll use it again. The, your wildest imagination of blessing, the most magnanimous thing you can possibly consider, let me tell you, it's not even a drop in the bucket to what God has promised. You want to know why he called the garden a garden? Let me tell you, it was a garden. Okay? And he's going to restore us to that place. And every day we're going to walk in the cool of the day with God. He's going to be there. Are you with me? Except there won't be any groaning going on. Zero. No more groaning. No more mourning. No more dying. No more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new. Are you with me? That's God's promise. This is what we believe in when we come to Christ and we trust Him. You understand what I'm saying? Who would turn down such an offer of blessing? Right? If only we had eyes of faith to grasp it. Are you with me? But family, it's only you and me who have running around in this world with this knowledge. It's only you and me who got our nose in the book every day just just looking at all of that glory and blessing and cataloging it in our minds and in our hearts and hoping desperately for it to come soon. Amen? Are you with me? So we are the ones who can offer these words of life to those who so desperately need it. Are you with me? I mean, if God were going to promise you something in accordance with the greatness of his majesty, what do you suppose it would look like? Well, exactly what he promised you. (laughs) I mean, what more could he promise you? Tell me, what more could he promise you? Can you think of one thing? (laughs) That's the thing. You know, the more I think about this thing that God has promised, it's, it's like there isn't anything greater. It's the greatest of all things. It's, it's beyond, it's beyond. It's like God, it's, it's otherworldly. Amen? So then, what human words can describe the splendor and glory of these promises from God to those who believe in Jesus the Christ? None indeed. Learn then that the gospel holds out amazing blessings for those who believe, which are beyond comprehension. 
Christ is an eternal fountain of life benefits, both temporal and eternal, for all who trust him for salvation from sin and death. So I want to just kind of summarize this by, I want to say something about your best life now. Okay? Because I want to tell you, your best life now is a true promise. And, you know, so, so often we look at the Christian life as, as being hard. And I want to tell you, there is a very real sense in which being a Christian is tough stuff. It's hard. It's not easy. You know, you find yourself swimming against the current, always and continually and constantly. Not only that, your old sinful self is hell-bent on its own, right? And it seems like you're constantly dragged away by the temptations of the world. And, and you, for, for, all, for all your worth, you can't stay on the path, right? God has to keep picking you up and putting you back on the path, right? It's the problem with a living sacrifice, right? It keeps getting up off the altar, right? You with me? But the point is, is that, you know, family, <laughs> what happens is, okay, we look at the contemporary church, which in our, we have this consumer, materialistic, consumer-driven culture, okay? So the doctors of religion, what they do is they cater to the market because it'll meet their ends, okay? And so what do they do? Well, they sell the gospel. Well, what's selling the gospel look like to people who have everything, right? <laughs> well, you've got to put more bells. You've got to put more whistles, Right? So before long, we've completely redefined the gospel, right? Right? To, we'll go out and survey the neighborhood. You know, <laughs> what would you like to see in a church? You know, what? What? You know, you understand what I'm saying? We'll go out and we'll survey the general populace of sinful humanity, and we'll say, what does a what does a warm, inviting church look like for you? Well, we want to come in and sit down and have our coffee and live our lives full of sin and have the pastor tell us that we're worth everything in the world and we're just glorious beings and we'll just all live in peace and have a little party. Right? So what do we do? We redefine the gospel to be exactly what sinful man wants catered to him. Are you with me? The problem with that is that's not at all the gospel. That's what the doctors of religion have redefined the gospel to be to a materialistic sinful culture okay okay so you, you you get the gist of what i'm saying the problem is when we see that okay and we begin to read and study our bible and understand the message of the gospel we have a tendency to swing the pendulum way over here okay now we're a bunch of fire breathing prophets you know you repent or you're going to hell you understand what I'm saying? I know. I do it all the time. Are you with me? But my point is is that, family, that's not the full gospel either. Okay? Listen, Jesus promises your best life now. Let me tell you. It happened to me 18 years ago on February 1st, 1991. I was transformed. Pow! And let me tell you, from that day forward, glory. Glory to God. Are you with me? I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be, if I had started writing a book now, it would take me 20 years just to talk about the beginning of the blessing that Christ has brought into my life and how he's healed me and filled me with his joy and his peace and his glory and his hope. On my darkest day, I have hope. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? And, and he does change our life. He fills our life with blessing. He promises to meet every need we have. He fills our life with things like peace and joy and patience, things I can't buy with money. How, how can I overcome my anger problem with money? I can't. But God, the knowledge of God by the Holy Spirit has power to demolish the stronghold of anger in my life and turn my angry heart into a peaceful heart that's content. Are you with me? Christ comes in, he transforms the life. And it's your best life, I promise. Okay? And so all I'm, all I'm doing is giving you an appeal not to reduce the gospel and let the pendulum swing way over here. Okay? True, you don't believe the gospel, you're going to hell. True. Okay? But let me tell you, if you'll believe, 
God is promising you an inheritance and glory beyond all you can ask or imagine. He's promising to come to you in your life and save you out of the pit of despair and depression and fill your heart with joy and heal your broken life and take you from that desert place of thirst in the wilderness of sin and fill your life with fountains and rivers. Are you with me? And this is the gospel that we preach. It's a full gospel. Not only that, listen, God's going to come and heal this whole world and fix all these problems. You know, men keep trying to govern the world, you know, and they just make a train wreck out of the thing. Right? Hello? Right? Isn't that what God said? I mean, you know, that's what God told us. He said, look, the day you eat from the tree, you shall surely die. Look around. People have been dying ever since. Okay? And it's just, you know, it's waxing worse and worse. Ultimately, it's going to culminate in Antichrist, ruling and reigning in the world, causing astounding devastation. So much so that if God doesn't cut short those days, no flesh would survive. You understand what that day looks like? That's where we're headed. You're wondering if things are headed off the track, out of control? You're right. They are. You with me? So, this is a plea. Don't reduce the gospel to any one thing. Okay? But have it in all of its fullness. And, and, and let the Holy Spirit lead you when you're, when you're trying to minister the gospel to somebody. You know? It may just be that woman that needs the promise of water that never goes dry. Who's well aware of her sin. And well aware she needs to repent. Amen? And there's a time even to tell her you need to repent. <laughs> Right. In fact, you'll you'll get to that part. But the the fact of the matter is, you may, you may also be talking to a guy who's you know hard headed, and and unwilling to repent and needs to be warned. If you don't turn, your your trouble is going to come down on your own head. And sometimes that's what people need to be told, very straightforwardly. Amen. But I'm I'm confident that the Lord will lead you. But what I'm even for him, there is a promise of blessing if he'll turn. You know, so um, again, if you will, I want you to see that the gospel has many forms and and that gospel needs to be explained to people so that they can have their eyes open and see this is how God saves people. Right. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, and so we've been talking about what well, what is the gospel? Well, essentially, right. God is our righteous judge and our holy creator, right? We sinned against him in the garden and we're now subject to sin and death, right? God has provided Christ as a sacrifice for our sins to buy us back from sin and death and give us a new and living way whereby we learn how to love each other and how to love God and for a savior to follow, amen? And so that's what we do. We respond to him how? Repentance from our sin, turning away from our evil, wicked ways and turning unto Christ to trust him to save us and to follow him. And in trusting him, we receive his righteousness so that we're accepted now in the sight of God. So we don't follow Christ to be saved. We follow Christ because he saved us. Amen. You with me? That's the essential message of the gospel. But consider all all the other promises of the gospel that come with it. Listen, God's going to come soon. He's going to bring his kingdom to the earth. He's going to change the whole place. He's going to fix it. God is going to fix it. You better believe it. But first, he's going to destroy it. Are you with me? And that's the other thing. You know, you talk to people in today's culture and they think, you know, you know, vote for this guy or vote for that guy. They're going to fix it, you know. And they, they don't have a clue. They don't, they don't even realize this world is not fixable by man. In fact, what we have is what man has done in all his efforts to fix. Amen? You with me? Okay, I'm rambling at this point. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord we look at some of these promises that are in your word to us and 
they are hard to grasp. But I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to the hope of our calling. Father, that we might have eyes to comprehend a spirit of revelation, God, that you would grant us to see the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints that is ours through trust in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would help those who are hurting and downcast, depressed. Lord, encourage them with good hope. Soon and very soon, Lord, we're going to come to see you. You're going to come to see us. Lord, we long for that day. We long to be clothed with an imperishable body, for death to be swallowed up by life. Father, come quickly, we pray. Come and make the world right and take us to be where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.